Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I am your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC. And I'm so happy to share this out. Well, actually, it's going to be two hours tonight. We have a special program. So we're going to have two hours where we can examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, those of you who've been listening know that Somewhere in the Middle is intended to be a safe place where we can learn and grow together. We have a lot to learn and discuss tonight in particular. We're going to discuss a variety of topics on this program, ranging from love to politics to money and business and beyond, and that is because the human experience is wide and varied. And I know you guys have a lot to share with us as well, so we're not going to just babble at you for a couple hours, we're going to uh, want to engage with you. We want you to feel free participating. So make sure that you uh, get your questions ready and get your comments ready because we're going to take calls from the audience. Now, you guys know that I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Miss Beverly Black herself. I also want to give a shout-out to my last guest, Julia Black, writer, editor, and energy worker. You can connect with Julia Black through her website, sacredashhealing.com, where you can schedule a session with her. You can also sign up for her new course, Spiritual Healing Through Storytelling. If you missed the last show, make sure you listen to that replay. Julia shared a lot of ideas about how we can move forward with emotional and spiritual healing. 
Now, you can get to that replay by visiting Tribe Family Channel online and checking out the show recordings. And you're going to look for the December 15th show. I also want to give a shout-out to Bruce George of the Genius is Common Movement, <clears throat> Excuse me, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. It is so important that we share this message, particularly with the youth, but not just with our young people. We all need to be reminded that the world needs our particular genius. And you can learn more about that, Genius is Common, geniusiscommon.com. I am super, super excited because this is the last show of 2017, and we have had an eventful year. So for tonight, we have not one but two wonderful guests to help us prepare for 2018. During this special two-hour show, we'll be looking at how we can get our money and tax situation uh, straight and how to get our minds and spirits right for 2018. And since this is a two-hour show, we're going to operate a little differently than we normally do. <clears throat> the first half of the show will concentrate on our money. Um, why do we need to do that, you're wondering? Well, well, of course you're not wondering. You know we all need it to live, and I think we all want to live well. So we're going to spend that time focusing on our money and taxes and things of that nature and also the mindset things that go with that. The second half of the show, we're going to be talking about our hearts, our minds, and our spirits. And why do we need to work on this? Well, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If your heart, mind, and spirit aren't right, you're never going to be happy. So I want to get started by thinking about our money right now. And to do that, I have Stephen Hutchinson as my guest. And let me tell you a little bit about him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Stephen Hutchinson was born in New York City in the spring of 1959. He is one of seven children growing up in New York City. He is a warrior who fights for his integrity and the integrity of his people. Stephen Hutchinson has read hundreds of books, traveled to all 50 states, has visited India five times, studied yoga, meditation, and all the major religions. He was a Hindu priest for 15 years and is author of Power Thought, a Handbook for Consciousness, and Budget, Make It Now. Stevenson, Stephen is presently working on his third book, which addresses black entrepreneurship and the psychological warfare that is involved in that mighty endeavor. He's had many business failures, which is the only real way to grow as an entrepreneur and to be able to share that experience to help others. He is an entrepreneur based on build, focused on building an empire, building a pyramid, building a society of consciousness. Stephen Hutchinson owns and operates <clears throat> PowerTax, which is an income tax startup, which he started as a lean startup, meaning it was on a budget, y'all. That's what that means. <laughs> he is also a licensed insurance agent who provides financial products and teaches people how money works, and that's what we want to know. So Stephen Hutchinson also believes that since this is a consumer-based nation, we need to be producers to satisfy the needs, wants, and demands of our people. 
I'd like to welcome Mr. Stephen Hutchinson to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Barrard. Thank you, Stephen, for coming on the show. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate your kindness and accommodating me. I appreciate the trust. Family channel, Genius is Common. Yes, I am very happy to be a part of this tribe. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to have you here for a couple of reasons. One is there's some things I just didn't know about you, and it was very exciting to learn them about you, and I would like you to share some of that with the audience. But the way I'm going to get to that is, by the way, I start my interviews typically with new guests, and you may already have heard, I like to start an interview with two questions, and the reason is because I believe they lead right into what you're doing, and why. So here are my two questions. Stephen Hutchinson, who are you, and how did you become who you are today? I am an evolving conscious being. That is the essence of my identity. I am a conscious being, therefore I have feelings, Desires, ambitions, hope, love, aspiration, faith, these are all a part of me. And my life has been all about discovering all of those things within myself and in relation to the world in which I live. So in my pursuit of that, I have come to some conclusions. I have learned something. And right now, you are speaking to that person who is accumulation of all of life's lessons, the joys, the beauties, the pains, the misery, the hate, the love, the ambition. Right now, I have evolved at this stage, and at this stage, I will continue to evolve, and I am interested in being a vehicle to help others also evolve and to think for themselves. Wow. Wow. And... Now, the way that's manifested right now seems to be through helping people kind of get their money right and along with that getting their minds right about money. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh, what I chose. Actually, that's the reason why I chose to be a tax professional because if you think about taxes, taxes are a – it's a huge subject matter. It's very if you just use the word tax and taxation, mm-hmm. taxation is very uh it's also very complicated. You have federal taxes, you have state taxes, local taxes, income taxes, FICA taxes, UTA taxes, unemployment taxes, social security taxes, Medicare taxes, you have taxes of corporations, taxes of individuals, taxes of LLCs. I mean the list goes on. It is a it is a huge subject matter. So if I narrow it down to my position in taxes is that I am a professional tax preparer. My expertise is in preparing tax returns for individuals and for small business owners, if I could be specific. Mm -hmm. And I thought I could use that as a vehicle to learn and to share. Well, and that ties right into something I didn't know about you in, in a weird way. 
Okay, so because you're talking a lot about learning, I didn't know that you had been a Hindu priest. A Hindu priest? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that I I I just went for it at the age of 25. At the time I was 25, I think I had gone through uh, quite an emotional turmoil in my life. Um, my father was murdered when I was a young boy, about five years old, and my mother passed away after an operation for breast cancer when I was 12 years old. And then uh, I wind up being a ward of the state for a number of years. And by the time I entered into my late teens and my early 20s, actually in my early 20s, I went through a very severe depression. I was very depressed. Actually, at around 21, I remember very clearly contemplating suicide when I was around 21. Um, I was very depressed. And, and I mean, I, anyway, I was working at a Taco Bell Bennett. <laughs> that pushed me over the edge. Okay, I was like, "This is it, man! I can't take it anymore." And to top it all off, working at Taco Bell. So, anyway, I kind of evolved out of that with some self, with some introspection, and with some counseling and with some mentoring. I was able to grow beyond that. Actually, one of my uh, one of the most influential mentors I have. I had in my life was helping me at that stage of my life, helping me like mm-hmm. to traverse this very difficult uh, stage of going from being an adolescent to becoming a man. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, it, it can be a very difficult transition. So as I transitioned, I started becoming aware of the need for me to do something and to make some decisions with my life. And actually, at that point in my life, Ronald Reagan was the president of the United mm-hmm. States. And I had decided, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to join the military because I need some direction. I need some form. I need some shape. I need some income. I need something definite. And I need a future, and I need more education. So that was one choice I had. I could go into the military. And then the other choice I had was actually to join a Hindu cult, basically. They were called the Hare Krishnas. I don't know if you uh, have any awareness of the Hare Krishnas. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's the guys Mm -hmm. who who dance and sing. They used to dance and sing on the street, playing drums Mm -hmm. and cymbals and so forth. And I I met them philosophically by reading some of the books, which are from the Vedic literatures, from the Vedas, a vast body of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I was attracted to the knowledge, and I was attracted to the security, and I made a decision. I'm either going into the military or I am going to join this religious education, and I decided on the religious education. And that's that, how is I got an inter- that is such an interesting choice to me. I mean, because it's like almost two opposites, right? Because the Hare yeah. Krishnas, whatever anybody might think of them being immaterial at this point, the Hare Krishnas are all about kind of peace and love, peace and love, and <laughs> then or join the military. That's like a weird. How did you your mind go between those two basic options? How how did 
those become the primary things you thought of. Because I think I, what I was seeking was for security. I was seeking for security. And being a man, I needed financial security. I needed economic security. I needed shelter. I needed a firm education. And those were the things I could get through the military. I needed income. Mm-hmm. I needed to travel, so I was going to travel with the military. So I had all these ambitions to do that. Then, on the other hand, I could also join the Krishna consciousness movement and be able to develop those things, but not the economic part, because I actually became a monk. Okay, mm-hmm. so I was a, a celibate student, a celibate monk for. 17 years, and we had rules. There was no, we did not drink, smoke, eat meat, chicken, fish, eggs, or gamble, or engage in illicit sex. So the only way you could engage in sex was that you had to marry. You had to get married, Mm -hmm. and I chose not to marry. So for 17 years, I practiced uh, being celibate and being a monk, being a celibate student. Uh, because I had a great desire to learn. So I think that vacuum in me that was driving me to the military is the very same vacuum that drove me to the Krishna consciousness movement because I needed to fulfill that desire in me to complete myself. So one, I could mm. either do it by joining a, you know, a military structure and kind of mm-hmm. giving myself over to them, or I could do it more through an internal pursuit, which was gotcha. more joining the Krishna consciousness movement, and I chose that. Wow. And I actually, I also chose that because I did not want to join Ronald Reagan's military. Yes. Didn't like the political arena that we were in. So I would have joined that out of desperation, mm-hmm. but once I found an alternative, I said, no, I do not want to be a part of that. I'm going to pursue knowledge. I'm going to pursue self-development, self-realization, meditation, yoga. I will pursue that. And I found an organization that could supply me with that, and that's uh, why I joined that. That's absolutely amazing. I'm going to have to spend a little time trying to wrap my brain around that (laughs) because While you can see the structure, you know, you can see how the structure of both of them have, you know, while they're very different, they have some basic um, foundational similarities off the top of your head. You wouldn't think, okay, military or, you know, hey, Krishna's. Yeah, it's just not, not the first thing that would come to mind. But the reason I say that's interesting to me, too, is because, um, believe it or not, that desire to learn and to self-actualize eventually manifested itself in a way that is very rooted in kind of those, not the consciousness movement, but the uh, understanding of money and consumerism at a different level so that you can help others. So how did that evolve? Now that evolved later on after I decided that, my stay in the Krishna movement and my life of celibacy 
I felt that I had accomplished what I had gone there to accomplish. It was an inner search. So once I found what I wanted to found, I learned about myself what I wanted to learn, I was like, okay, that's it. Just the same way that I joined this movement because I wanted to, I left that movement because I wanted to, which is often sometimes difficult for people to understand. They asked me, like people who knew that I was in the Christian movement, they asked me, man, what happened? Like, how'd you leave? What happened? And I tell them that I left the same way I joined. It was my decision. I wanted to join. I joined. And I wanted to leave, so I left. I still have the power of my decision. So once I left, now mind you now, after being in the Krishna Conscious Movement, it is a sub-society, okay? We, we are a, like a, a subculture within a culture. So I was outside of the mainstream culture for mm-hmm. more than a decade. I did not have a job. I was a celibate student. I swore myself to poverty. So I didn't have a job. I didn't pay taxes. I didn't own any property. I didn't uh, pursue any um, academic pursuits. I didn't pursue any type of career. I lived a life of a mendicant or a, a teacher, a poor teacher is, is basically what it's called. You become a poor mm-hmm. teacher where your mission is simply to teach but not to be remunerated, and you just support the movement. So by the time I evolved spiritually and consciously to leave, once I came out and came back into the world, I was practically financially illiterate completely. Because imagine being out of the system for 15, 16, 17 years and then just coming back into the economic system with no work history, no accumulation of any 401Ks or retirement plans, <laughs> and not having very much information about any of those things either. Mm-hmm. So you started trying to learn these things for yourself is what I'm gathering. Exactly. Yes. From the ground up. From the ground up. I had to come in and start at the very bottom and try to get an understanding of what was going on economically because I did not understand what was going on around me economically. So what did that look like, starting – Starting from the bottom. I'm sorry, what did that look like, starting from the bottom to learn about money at that point? Oh, well, it was, it was very um, uh, it was a very threatening situation, a very daunting situation, and it seemed practically impossible. I thought it was impossible because when I left that movement, I was 42 years old. So I was a 42-year-old financially illiterate black man who had just left the life of celibate student for 17 years with nothing in a bank account, with no uh, job skills per se, uh, with no job affiliation or industry affiliation or retirement accounts or anything. So it was daunting. It was frightening. It was bewildering. It was confusing is what it was. So I had to get my orientation. And through trying to orientate myself, I started to learn gradually and realized that 
I needed to not join the system and just become a worker in the system, but I needed to learn and understand what the system is and how the system works and how money works. And mind you, these are not decisions that I made, you know, in 15 minutes. It took years for me to make those decisions because most of the environments I was in, most of the people are working class people and they think like working class people. They don't think in mm-hmm. terms of independence. They don't think in terms of building anything or building a business. They think in terms of maintaining, you know, just make enough money, pay those bills, you know, you get a few days off, you know, you can light it up for a few minutes and then you go back to work and you just continue right. in that cycle. And it's a hypnotic cycle. People are literally under hypnosis, as far as I'm concerned, by working for something which they have no idea when they will ever attain. So I wanted to, I needed again to kind of unplug. Basically, you know, like, you have you seen the movie called The Matrix? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're big Matrix fans in this house. Okay. So now, so you know, in order to go into the matrix, you have to plug in to the matrix. Yep. Yeah. Right. And if you unplug from the matrix, you're free from the influence of the matrix. But that's the only way you can get back to your original consciousness is by unplugging from the matrix. Right. But but to unplug is very frightening. It's a frightening thing because you're gonna be alone. You're not a part of the scene anymore. You're not, you know what I'm saying? You're not down with everything that's going on. So that was what I felt I needed to do financially. I had to unplug myself again from the system and try to understand it and, and, and change my relationship with money, with wealth, with the economy, and come back rejuvenated. And start over again. And that's what I did. I started over a number of times, and I stumbled a number of times. I made some horrible decisions, bad decisions, um, and I still make mistakes, and I am still on my evolutionary path. Wow. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question that might sound a little odd, because <clears throat> it seems to me that you – Unplugged the first time around in a way by moving into the Krishna movement and perhaps through all of that meditation and yoga and self-reflection that you spent time in there, maybe that helped you to recognize when you came back into what I would call the secular world, for lack of a better term, that Mm -hmm. something was off and you needed to pull back and figure out how that worked. Could could that possibly have been a, a connection there? I, I definitely believe so, for sure. And it was it was um it was a daunting task and it was uh frightening. And I I, I experienced a lot of feelings of inadequacy and um a lot of insecurities because I did not have a financial foundation. I didn't. And I was a man, you know, forty two years mm-hmm. old. You know, and to not have that is is devastating. It's devastating to one's ego, you know, and I wasn't a dumb person. So I was able to face it and realize that, look, you have to make a very 
serious uh, choice. You have to make some very serious decisions. How are you going to navigate yourself through the rest of your life here in this country when you did not inherit anything, when you do not own anything, and when you end the society, you do not have any power? How do you navigate? Mm. How, do you, how do you have self-integrity? How do you love yourself? How do you uh, love your people when you take a, an objective look and see that you and your people are in a position where you practically own nothing in a country that's full of nothing but ownership? Right, in right. A country, in, a, in a capitalistic country where you and the predominant number of your people have no capital. It's like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. We live in a capitalistic country. We must have capital. You know, or else you can't play. It's like trying to play the game of Monopoly, but you don't have any money. Well, you can't play. You know what I'm saying? So That's you have to amazing. get it. You gotta, you gotta get it. So I, I had to go back to the drawing board, you know, and and try to figure it out. And um. That's what I have been doing, and it's led me up to this stage where I am right now, which is a very um, optimistic place uh, where I am right now because things are becoming clearer. I'm beginning to understand, and I'm beginning to imbibe the, the mentality of a builder. I've come, finally come to the conclusion that the healthiest state of mind I can have is that of a builder. Because I see so many things, and I hear so many people talk about the things that we don't have, the things that we need as a people. So, therefore, my conclusion is if we all can see this or whichever ones of us that can see what we need, then we need to go into the mode of a builder and build it. We need to build. Definitely. So I feel like Definitely. as a people, this is where we are. You know, this is a crucial part of our struggle of our evolution and our revolution as a people that financial literacy prime right now. As a matter of fact, um, I oftentimes uh, hear people, because I do financial literacy research, uh, which mm -hmm. simply means that I ask a lot of questions of people about their financial mm -hmm. views, their financial opinions, their financial emotions, and I like to get the conversation started, the conversation which I call the money conversation. I like mm -hmm. to get that conversation going. And what I've discovered is that most people, people with money and people without money, when they're confronted with the question of do you have any financial problems, their answer is usually yes. Both people say yes, people with money and people without. And then when you ask what is the solution, the predominant answer is more money. <laughs> that's, that's what people who have money say That's what people who don't have money say More money is a solution to their lack of money Now, after, after some serious consideration And, you know, years of con contemplating this I've realized that I think that that's an inaccurate uh, I think that's an incomplete answer To mm -hmm. that question or to that problem I don't think the problem uh, that the problem is solved by more money. I think the problem is solved by more financial intelligence. 
In other mm. words, knowing what to do with money will put you in a position where you can always improve yourself financially from wherever you are. Got it, got it, got it. No, I think that's actually really important because one of the things I wanted to ask you about tonight has to do with this concept of, well, people always say, well, there's always something you can cut. You should create a budget and then figure out what you can cut. But in some ways that can be a little unrealistic, I think, to just say just cut this or just cut that. Aren't there some mindset things that people should be focusing on? Like how do you get your mind ready to help you make the changes that are necessary for your particular situation? Yes, that is the question. And each situation is individual and each situation Mm -hmm. is independent. So Mm -hmm. each person actually needs to be able to have a solution that is appropriate to them and their individual situation and their individual mindset, their individual Mm -hmm. personality traits and so forth. But in general, in general, what I believe is the method in order to change one's financial mindset definitely has to do with learning basic fundamental principles about money and about my relationship with money. What is my relationship with money? Like, for instance, uh, I, I gave this class called the money class. And in the mm-hmm. money class, I ask people, what is money? Right? And the first level of answers is always, oh, money is a currency. Uh, money is a means of exchange for goods and services, blah, blah, blah. Right? We get all those dictionary definitions of money. Mm-hmm. And then when we get that out of the way, then I ask a person, yes, but what is money to you? And once I ask that question, then we start getting closer to the person's emotional connection with money. And what Mm -hmm. I have found is that a a significant number of people have a negative emotional relationship with money. Hmm. They They actually believe money is a bad thing. It's evil. Really? Yes. And how do, let me ask you, so if you were to ask me the question, what is money? To me, money is freedom, right? (laughs) Money is the thing that buys you the freedom to do what you want to do and live how you want to live. To me, that's a good thing. Okay. So, all right, then let's, 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 let's take that question, questioning a little further. So my question would be, why does money represent freedom to you? For me, money represents freedom because when you have enough money, you don't have to predicate your decisions on money, you know, uh, or lack thereof. You don't have to tie yourself to a particular location. You don't have to tie yourself to a particular job or company. You can go and create what you want to create for yourself because you have the resources to invest in it. 
and you have the ability to also say, well, I don't feel like creating anything today. I'm going to sit on the beach. So that's the way I envision. Okay. So you see money as a tool. Yeah, you could say, yeah, a tool. Yes, money is a tool. So money is neither good nor bad. In actuality, you can do good things with money. You can do bad things with money. You yeah, see? like a hammer. So, you can you can exactly. nail you can you can nail something to the wall, hang up a pretty picture, or you could bash somebody's skull in with it. It's what you do with it that makes the difference. Exactly, exactly. And because you have a healthy mentality towards money, you don't feel any negativity towards money or the accumulation of money. People who feel a negative emotion in relation to money will not be able to accumulate money because they don't feel, one, that they deserve it. Two, they feel mm. that it's bad. So they would prefer to give away their money. They will give their money to a rich person or support a rich person, but they will never accept because they have a negative emotional relationship with money. And if you just take a look around you at some of the major organizations around you that take donations and contributions, you will see exactly what I mean, how huge numbers of people will give their money to a small number of people and allow those people to live lavishly and to exercise power while they themselves continue to struggle because they cannot see themselves in the position of having wealth or having money or having power or having control because they have a negative relationship with money and they feel themselves to be, as a result, they feel themselves to be inadequate. Most, most of us are in a position of doing nothing to improve our situation. And I believe a lot of it has to do with our emotional relationship with money, which we never, ever get to because we don't have the money conversation. Most people, if you have a conversation about money, the conversation may last five minutes at the most, and it's over. So it gets a whole lot deeper. And I believe that that's one of the keys is to uncover one's relationship with money. Well, I have another thing that I had been talking with some folks about regarding money. And I think this, and I don't know if I'm interpreting this correctly. You've talked with more people about money, but I have perceived that looking at my life and the lives of a lot of friends and, and associates, that we weren't really taught how money worked. We, even if you, like, got a little allowance when you were a kid or whatever, you had your first job like I did when you're 15 years old, you learned how to earn money, you learned how to spend money, but you didn't learn how money worked. And it took me a long time to kind of start wrapping my brain around how money works. And by that I mean how banks make money off of us, how credit card companies make money, how, you know, to analyze how different businesses make money, 
and to see what it because if somebody comes to you and says, "Here, I'm giving you this for free," what is it that they're going to get out of it? Really, kind of analyzing all of that and then understanding how the larger system works. I mean, I'm still trying to figure the whole doggone thing out. And I think because there were no discussions um, from our parents about these things, that it ends up being that much more challenging. I feel like I stumbled around, I still stumble around, you know, as an adult, trying to make my way with regard to money and business and all of these things because I didn't have anybody talking with me about these things at home. And am I looking at that the wrong way? Are you seeing similar things, particularly in the black community, where maybe we just don't have that foundation from home because maybe our parents didn't know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I see that definitely. I see that very clearly. I see that in my family. I see it in other families, especially in our community. I see it. And one of the things I've learned that there's a fundamental change. I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was probably one of the first books that I believe touched me psychologically about money. I had read other books before, like I had read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon mm-hmm. Hill, which is a mm-hmm. very, uh, and, and, you know, very powerful book. But Robert Kiyosaki's book was something that touched me psychologically because one of the primary principles that he taught, that I had read so many other books but no one ever taught, is that he talked about your attitude towards money, your relationship with money. And one of the key things he said is that the way there's a, di- there's a dynamic between the way wealthy people think and the way working class people think. And it's very fundamental. It's like this. If you ask a person, the average person, about their relationship with money, you say, well, when you, get, when you think of money and you want to get money, What's your solution? And they'll say, I'll work for it. I'll get a job. Or if I need more money, mm-hmm. I'll get a better job. Or I'll get another job. Or I'll get, I'll get a part-time job too. And this is a programming. This is a psychological, mm-hmm. economic programming. If a person thinks that every time you think of money, you think of working, you have now bought into a system of working for money. That becomes your belief. That becomes your religion to work for. It's you, and you're doing the work, and your reward for your work is money. Robert Kiyosaki says the other way to think is money should work for me. It's a complete reversal of the psychology. And if a person imbibes that psychology that my money should work for me, whenever one gets a dollar or even a penny, one thinks completely different about what to do with it if we think in terms of the money working for me. So if I have to work for the money, then all I'll ever do with money is spend it. That's what I'll do with it, and I'll try to enjoy it because that's what I think of money. Money is something that I have to work for. You know, it's something superior to me. 
I'm not the master. Money is the master, and I work for it. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, hey, a, right. a, a serf or the landowner, right? It's the landowner that's in the superior position, and the serf is just working on the land. So with that type of mentality that money is, is a worshipable object, money is something that I have to pursue, I have to go after, I have to earn, I have to become worthy to get, that psychology keeps people working, running on the treadmill, running after mm-hmm. this dream of money. The reverse psychology is money. My money should work for me. If that becomes my premise, I think completely different every time I get a dollar. My decision of what I'm going to do with it is going to be completely different. Now, I may not know yet what to do with it, but I can figure that out because the information is available, right? You know, there are books to read, DVDs you can watch, YouTube videos. You know, there's endless ways to get, to learn techniques to make money, but it's the mentality ultimately that's going to make the change. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. And so that transition, though, from what you might call the working, the work-oriented mind, I don't know if I want to call because all of it is work in some way. I guess, but I am the master of my money versus my money being the master of me. That's a difficult transition to make. Yes, and the the only way that I know that that transition can be made is through association, and you get the association through reading, through listening, through inquiring, through studying, through researching, through changing your association. Because if I associate exclusively with people who have a working mentality, chances are that's going to reinforce my working mentality. If I want to change my mentality, I also have to change my... From the engineering booth, Stephen has dropped off, and as soon as he returns, we will reconnect him. So please give us a commercial break about what is 2018 bringing for Michelle Berard. Wow, 2018. <laughs> well, 2018 is going to be very exciting. I've already Great, got and Stephen is back. Stephen is back. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt awesome. you. So you no, can give us an update later. Great. Yeah, actually, that's good because I was planning that for the end of the show. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Stephen? Yeah, sorry, I got lost there. Yes, ma'am, I'm back. Not at all. So you were saying if you, if you change your association. Exactly. That is a fundamental aspect to changing your realization. If you want to change your realization, you need to change your association. Uh, One of my teachers often tells me that, Stephen, if you want to change, you have to change your environment as well. You can't just Mm -hmm. change yourself within. You need to change your environment also. Both have to change. That is a, a genuine change. So, he says to me, if you can't change the people around you, Stephen, then 
change the people around you, Stephen. Right. And there's a saying that you are the average of what? The average of the 10 people you spend the most time with? Is that what I've heard before? That's right. That is absolutely correct. What if if people wanted to do a self-assessment right now, you know, or right after this show, they wanted to do a a little self-assessment to get a sense of where they are psychologically, where they are emotionally with regard to money and, and wealth building? What kinds of things could they look at? Actually, that is a perfect subject to Google. If you Google this, what you can do is go online and Google financial relationships, emotional wealth, and the relationship between your emotions and money. Okay? There are... There are a number of books that have actually been written, and one of the things that I'm considering to do is to put together a questionnaire whereby people can ask themselves a number of questions which will spark the conversation, the money conversation. The first thing to realize, though, is that this is ongoing. This is going to be an ongoing evolution. Financial literacy is an ongoing subject is ongoing advice because things change constantly. Economies are changing. Technology is changing. So financial literacy is a regular pursuit, a daily pursuit, something that must be maintained. So if one goes online, though, and Google some of these questions, also look at the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That book is not a very yeah, large yeah. book. And also, for people who don't like to read, I suggest that you – Get audio books. Yes. Audio books are also inexpensive, and you can download them onto your phone, and you can listen to it. But it's very important to get the right information to help you come to your conclusion, to help you understand your relationship. Because just like anything, we are human beings, and as human beings, we all live in a certain degree of denial, especially about ourselves. It's a, it's a technique that we use, a defense technique. So in order to make advancement, though, in order to actually change, we have to give up a lot of the denial. So that's also uncomfortable, which is why most people don't change, because it's uncomfortable, and people prefer to be comfortable. So that would be some of my suggestions. I highly recommend this book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. will definitely give you a nice uh, insight into the psychology of money. Yeah, that one's on my bookshelf right now. <laughs> when you mentioned it, I was like, I remember the first time I read it, my mind was blown just at the difference between his household. It was his friend's house that he had gone to, and he saw the difference between his household and the way they talked about money or if they talked about money at all and his friend's exactly. household. Yeah, that's, that's right. it's mind-blowing. Simple concept, that's but right. very mind-blowing concept. Now, you know, we're, we're coming up to 2018, and people are a little freaked out. Um, we've heard all kinds of things about the new tax law and, and things like that. Um, even in my household, you know, I have a, a young person uh, in college, 
I have another young person who's on her own, and everybody's a little concerned about the new tax law. Are there any particular things that you think that we need to be aware of with regard to the tax law as it may pertain to, let's say, you know, I, I, want, I don't want to throw that term middle class around because right, it's, right. It's, right, it's such a loaded term. Yeah, you have no idea. But, but let's say you have an average income of $50,000 a year. What kinds okay. of things might someone in that area need to worry about? If, if a person is, is in that uh, range of income, the first thing that you can understand is that the tax law and ultimately the benefits of the tax law are not written for your benefit, especially if you are an employee. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a bitter pill, but it's, it's a reality. Tax laws are not written for the benefit of working people. Tax laws are written for the benefit of corporations and businesses. So people who are in that price range should understand that as a reality. And as a result of that, should make sure they are doing one of two things. Either starting some type of home-based business, perhaps a simple home-based business, because by having a simple home-based business, you will find that there are deductions that are available for businesses that you will have access to that you will not have access to as an individual. You just won't because it doesn't exist for the individual. The tax laws reflect the benefit of corporations and businesses. Would be one suggestion that a person in that bracket begins some type of home, perhaps a simple home-based business, maybe some type of web-based business, whether they start an online T-shirt business or if they start, um, let's say, um, they start an affiliate marketing business online where they don't actually have to have any products. All they have to do really is set up a website with products on there and and advertise the products, and then they can sell them online. But... Just realize when it comes down to taxes and a tax code, that tax codes are written for the benefit of businesses. The other suggestion I would have is that if a person just feels, you know, that just having a business is just completely out of their realm of thinking, then begin to invest. Learn to invest a percentage of your income. So if you don't want to run a company, then just become a part owner of someone else's company so that you can get some of the benefits. Perhaps if, you, if you're purchasing stocks and bonds and, and there comes a period where you need to sell them, you could take advantage of the capital gains laws. Another mm-hmm. suggestion, another suggestion would be to look the different types of insurance products. Um, this is something which a lot of people do not do. Um, I guess it's because of the marketing of insurance or it's because of the way people think of insurance. People basically mm-hmm. think, of, especially life insurance, people think of life insurance in terms of, oh, well, that's just something that when I die, I'm leaving money for someone else. And they think of right. it like that. 
But that is a very incomplete and a very, uh, uh, I would say, an, a, an obsolete way of thinking of life insurance nowadays because life insurance has evolved right along with technology in a sense that life insurance nowadays can be used not only as a means of leaving and actually creating some type of wealth and assets for your next generation, if you want to look at it from a holistic perspective, that it can be used for that purpose. But also life insurance policies now have what they call life or living benefits, whereby one can take advantage of their insurance policy even while they are alive. Okay? Oh. It can get yes. Exactly. They can get benefits from that. They can gain interest. Uh, their money can earn interest because if we go back to the financial literacy piece, one of the things about money and understanding money and how money works, money needs a friend, and the friend of money is called interest, okay? <laughs> money without interest is nothing, really. It's just being uh, – it's, it's losing value due to the influence of inflation, Okay. So let's mm-hmm. say you, you, you keep $100 in your pocket for, for a year, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, if you just leave it in your pocket for a year and you go back to it, you, it looks like $100, but it's not $100 anymore because inflation right. has eaten away at the value of that money. Now that same money will buy you less. So financial literacy means to understand that principle. Inflation is eating away your money. So your money needs to be earning at least the interest rate of inflation just to keep up, okay? So people are so busy working, 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 but they're not thinking. It's not about just working. It's about interest. So your money needs to meet up with this person named interest, and they need to get together and procreate (laughs) money with interest because when they do, your money increases. Your money increases. What to speak of if your money meets this other person named compound interest? Oh, then it'll be compoundingly interestingly, okay? <laughs> so your money, becomes, your money becomes a whole lot more interesting when it's gaining interest, okay? And it becomes compoundingly interesting when it's gaining compound interest, okay? So th- th- that principle is there, and there are financial products and vehicles that people can use uh, within the realm of insurance where they could put their money and they could take advantage of all of those things. They can uh, have their money can be protected from taxes because remember, that's the other uh, man that's coming after your money is the tax man. Tax man is right. coming after your money. Inflation is coming after your money, right? Your friends are coming after your money. Relatives are coming after your money. The bills are coming after your money. You know, and if you make any errors or emergencies, they're all coming after your money. It's just like it's it's endless amount of uh, of like vacuums that are you know taking away your money. You have to of the volatility of money by putting your money in a place where your money is gaining value. So whether you do it as a business or you do it as an investment, but it's definitely something that have to look into. Wow. Wow. That is powerful stuff. Very important, powerful stuff. And Stephen, I'm presuming that people can learn more about 
all of these types of things on your website or through your books? What, what do you want people to know about, you know, what's going on with you and, and how they can learn more? Yes, my website is powertax.com. That's powertax with two X's. That's powertax with two X's, powertax.com. That's my website. And you can also contact me uh, through my number. My number is 610-955-6508. That's 610-955-6508. And my company, Powertax, we offer the service of processing your tax return, doing your tax return. But we don't just do your taxes, answer your questions, and help you understand what's going on in your tax return so that you can increase your financial literacy. Because I figure if we're already doing your taxes anyway, we're already there at the money conversation. And since we're there, if we can bring more value to you as one of our customers or one of our clients, then that's exactly what we want to do. And that will separate us from all the other tax companies because we don't just do your taxes, but we answer your questions. Very good, because we all have a lot of questions about our money and the taxes, and especially, uh, like I said, this tax code going forward, I think people are a little concerned. Well, very concerned. If you follow anything on social media and the news, you know, everybody's heard a lot about it. So you guys make sure that you reach out to Stephen Hutchinson at PowerTax, P-O-W-E-R-T-A-X-X.com, or say the phone number again for me, please, Stephen. 610-955-6508. Awesome. Thank you so much for um, being on the show. We're running a little bit behind schedule, so guys, um, if, if you have any questions, I'm going to ask you to reach out directly to Stephen at his website, and we're going to have a short intermission, and then we're going to come back with my second guest. We've been talking about money. We've been talking about how to get our heads right with regard to our money. We've been talking about the taxes and everything, the changes coming up in 2018 with the tax code. Now it's time for us to start thinking about getting our hearts and minds and spirits ready at a different level. And all that feeds into the money thing too, guys. If you think it's not important, think again. Spiritual balance is important. So we're going to take a short intermission, and we will be back. Make sure you stick with us. We will be back in just a few minutes.
weren't feeling like a party before, you have to be feeling like a party now. That is one of my favorites. Thank you so much for coming back. We're here with the second half of Somewhere in the Middle for our special two-hour show for the end of 2017. Thank you so much for sticking with us. We just had to take a little bit of break, get our jam on, get our party on. We have to get psyched up, guys. There is nothing to be afraid of moving into this next year. I know there's been a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety over this last year, but it's time for us to start moving forward and planning how we're going to move through, move through all of this stress and anxiety, getting our money right, getting our heads right, getting our spirits right. So in the first half of the show, we heard from Stephen Hutchinson, financial and tax guru, so he can help us get our money right for the new year. Now we're going to start focusing on our hearts, our minds, and our spirits. And I am so happy to bring back one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Lynn Laporte. Hopefully you guys heard her when she was on the last show. Let me tell you a little bit about her just in case you haven't uh, had a chance to hear anything about her before. Lynn Laporte is one of the most highly regarded and sought-after intuitive counselors and mediums in the Southeast region of the United States. She is often described as highly compassionate, down-to-earth, and intuitive, and she acts as a bridge between the seen and the unseen. And although Lynn was extremely intuitive and a natural medium from birth, it wasn't until later in life that she started working with clients. To date, she's worked with more than 1,500 clients, and that's since 2000. When working with the unseen, also known as spirit, Lynn acts as a conduit to help people connect with their loved ones who've passed into the spirit realm. And she finds being of service to those in need to be an honor and really very sacred work. Along with providing private readings for her clients, Lynn also assists others with their personal development. She shares her wisdom and experiences with the world by hosting workshops and webinars throughout the year. It is her prayer that everyone in need can experience a genuine and meaningful connection with spirit. And let me just say this, Lynn is one of my favorite people in the whole world. I think I mentioned that. She's a very dear friend of mine. And I want to welcome Lynn Laporte back to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Broad. Thank you so much, Lynn, for being on the show, especially at this time of the year. Exactly. Exactly. I know you've been How are you? wicked busy, wicked busy yes. with the holidays and new oh, developments yes. in the family and all of that there. <laughs> oh, yes. I've had my hands full. Yeah, so y'all, just in case you hear a little a little racket in the background, there is um, a, a new member of Lynn's family who may be um, uh, <laughs> wanting to say hi at some point. <laughs> So I love, I love baby noises, baby noises to me. That's just, that's the sound that God hears. Uh, That's what he wants to hear all the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's listen, that is music. That is music. It is a blessing. (laughs) Of course, it's easy for me to say my, my, uh, what my youngest baby's 15 now. So I haven't heard that noise in a minute. (laughs) Lucky you. 
Oh, yeah, but, you know, when you look back, you know, you always go, oh, I kind of miss all that. Well, okay, kind of not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Lynn, you've been on the show before, so I'm not going to harass you with my two questions that I usually ask a new guest. Um, okay. And like I said, guys, if you haven't heard that episode where Lynn was on the show, you're going to want to look in the Tribe Family Channel archives for the August 25th, 2017 show, but I want us to dive right into tonight's topic, which is about the exploration of how we can move ourselves forward spiritually and emotionally, um, you know, in this new year, because during the first half of the show, Stephen Hutchinson educated us about money and about taxes and things we needed to know moving into 2018. He got into that, really that money mindset specifically, but it doesn't really matter what we do as far as getting more money, right? If our hearts and our minds aren't together, if we don't have our hearts, our minds, our spirits, right? It's not going to matter. Life's going to be a struggle for us, right? So let's get into it. Okay. Let's, so how about start? we start I mean, with some signs? Can... I'm sorry, go ahead. What do we start? Because this can go in so many different directions. Yeah, so I was thinking about, you know, here's what I, here's what I think about. I think about what if you are spiritually out of balance and what kinds of ways might that manifest itself? Because I know for me, when I'm out of balance, my money mm-hmm. gets hit. That's the first okay. thing that gets hit. What okay. what are some signs that you're spiritually out of balance? Well, let's let's start with this. Let's start with first accepting that life is basically the manifestation of where your energy has been, or rather, where your energy or your awareness has been. So, if your money sucks, then that's a result of why it sucks. Does that make any sense? Yeah, but elaborate for me because I think that sometimes, you know, if we talk in two general terms, it's hard for people to follow the the, the thought well, process there. Okay. Well, all right. So I can all I can I think I'm I think it would be safe to say that we all want to be financially secure. At the very mm-hmm. least, when we want to be able to pay bills properly on time, we want to have good credit, and then we want to be able to have extra money to put away or either splurge. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, if one basically has had, you know, majority of their life of, uh, has been a reflection of financial hardship, and it continues, it just never ends. No matter what they've tried to do, you have to go back and look at the awareness, the mind, because the mind is is what I call ground zero. That's like the central command station. You know, and mm-hmm. if your mind is negative, your thoughts are negative, your emotions are negative, then that's what you're pulling into you. So say, for example, if you, if you look at it in the sense of if we've got a garden, we can take the water, right, and we can water the garden. Now, if we water the garden with the water, and let's just say the water is the energy, we're either going to get weeds or either we're going to get flowers, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to get both, basically, at, at the end of the day. That's what it really boils down to. 
So if your thoughts, your thoughts are basically coming from a place of negative, which is encompassing um, confusion, a lot of hard feelings where you revert to the past, the past couple of times that you try to get out of the hole or doubt along those lines, that's negative. So you mm-hmm. can't expect to put in that negative thought. And, and here's the other part to that. On the flip side of the coin, when you have these thoughts, then it's automatically accompanied by emotions, right? Right. So it, it, <laughs> you're literally shooting your, yourself in the foot at that point. So that's what you're, that's where you're putting all your energy and you're putting your energy into things that you, you don't want. So I deal with a lot of clients who go through financial hardship, who's always had financial issues throughout life, and they just can't seem to be lucky enough or to be able to hold mm-hmm. on to money or be able to pull this money in. And some of these people come and they feel as if there's something that has happened, like somebody it's somebody else's fault. But I have to tell them, you have to look at self first. Look at self first and assess that before, because it's easier to put the blame off on something else or somebody mm-hmm. else. So look at self first and then assess what are your thoughts about money? What are your fears about money? You know, what are your hopes about money? You know, and if you stay and you come from a place where your inner thoughts are basically reflecting um, how hard it is to get money and how it slips through your hands, you're going to get that, just that. And, you know, with dealing with a lot of clients and, you know, who have financial issues, they don't understand how the very thing they do not want, they literally will almost obsess over it. And I had mm-hmm. to stop one just a few weeks ago and ask, well, why are you obsessing over something, but yet it comes full throttle and you, you despise it, you hate it, but yet this is where your focus is at. So I think that's, I think that's a, a very important thing before one does anything is to deal with self. And if you've lived a long life and, and you've bumped your head and you've you know, you financially struggled all this time, you know, um, that's the primary place you want to be at. You want to sit down and you want to deal with self first because your mind is the central command station, you know. Um, that's where things grow, you know, and, and from there it gets even stronger when the emotions are attached to it and before you know it, you got exactly what you didn't want. Now, what about some of the things that um, that Stephen mentioned? And I say this because, you know, everybody is, you know, going about their lives. They're trying to do the best that they can. They're working. They're building businesses. They're having their relationships. They're going about doing what they're doing. And then mm-hmm. out of nowhere, something happens. So they weren't thinking about something that would cause them to have a financial setback necessarily, right? Things oh, do yes. just happen. So no, um, no. I, I have well, let me let me let me finish because... the thought. Well, okay. let me finish the thought though. 
things do just happen that they weren't sitting there obsessing over is what I mean to say. They weren't sitting there obsessing over, oh, this is, you know, you know, negative thoughts, negative thoughts. They're just doing life. They're just doing life. What about the element of things like their associations? What about, are there other elements that can also come into play, I guess, is what I'm asking. Absolutely. Yeah, in addition, absolutely. like absolutely. So, you know, one of the primary things that comes into play, and this is just a very loose example, you may have a family member or friend who has struggled, whether it be through relationships or finances or, you know, whatever. Um, some people call them vampires, you know, and if we're if mm-hmm. we're operating and this discussion in terms of everything is energy, when you're dealing with these people who come from lower energies, right, they're pulling your energy. They're like tapping into what you have going on. So people don't understand that your energy on a soul level is finite. So when you interact with other people who are not, on the same level as you, you're basically releasing that and then you're taking on essence of them as well. So you could pick up inadvertently other people's negative energy as well. All day long, yes. Or like I like to say, crazy is contagious. Very contagious. (laughs) (laughs) Severely contagious. Yes, it is. If you're fooling around with people who got crazy, you can expect some crazy to come your way. Absolutely. It's coming. Absolutely. It's coming. So you have to be, you know, extremely careful in the sense of who you allow into your space. And that doesn't mean, you know, people that you interact with physically. This is, it's so deep that it can be transferred via the phone or email. You know, yeah. So don't look at it from the from the the sense that you've got to be physically close to a person. You know, it goes beyond that. You can actually be on the phone or, you know, exchanging emails, text messages, and so forth. What kind of what kinds of things should people look for if they are, you know, maybe they suspect that someone that they're associated with, a friend or family member is kind of dragging them down, not in, not necessarily intentionally because, folks, we don't want to say that all your, all your cousins are trying to um, suck away your, your energy. What kinds of things should they be looking for, though, as maybe symptoms that there's some energy drain around them? When, thing, when things start going wrong. Mm-hmm. When, things start, mm-hmm. when things start going wrong. Um, you know, and it doesn't when when I when I say when things start going wrong, it doesn't necessarily have to be the same. So if you've got a friend or a family member who's having, you know, guy problems, that doesn't mean that you're gonna start having guy problems, you know? But you can right. take on you can take on if their if their issue is guy problems and they're stand, they're engaging in a lot of um confusion and and just repeating the same thoughts over and over, you can take that on. You know, if they're in a place of uncertainty and just in a severely dark place, can that on. So it's not going to manifest 
exactly the way that they're going through it, but it's going to manifest. I come from a place that it's going to manifest what's weakest for you. So if your weakness is basically the fear of not having money, then it's going to manifest in, in that place. So just because you've mm-hmm. got guy issues, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have guy issues. Well, I had, um, at one point, I, I made an observation. There is this one friend that um, when they call me on the phone okay. and we start talking, I swear mm-hmm. within minutes of the phone call, I am so hungry. Like, <laughs> like okay. I, have, I have to get up and go get something to eat right that minute. Like, mm-hmm. I'll still be on the phone and have to, I'm walking to the refrigerator. And yes. I started wondering, is that, you know, like some energy suck that I'm yes. getting there Absolutely. that's manifesting I, itself as me getting hungry? Yes. I don't think a lot of people, uh, people downplay what they can't see, touch, and feel. So if they can't see, touch it, and feel it, it doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. But no one really mm-hmm. knows how energy is just every single thing in our life, every single thing, from the good to the bad, it, it, it makes it up. So if we can acknowledge that, then we know that, say, for example, whoever this person is that calls you, you know, they've got something attached to them that they've picked up, and they probably more than likely have had it for a very long time, and they've just adopted it unknowingly. You know, they've accepted it as who they are. And then you being sensitive as you, as you are, you know, it will manifest, and, and that appetite, your appetite increasing. Well, needless to say, I try not to talk to him too much because Lord knows I don't need to be running to the refrigerator like that. You know? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, my thing is basically I, I come from a place that you really have to respect yourself and you've got to take care of yourself. You have to look at yourself, your energy, as finite. So you cannot, it, it, you just can't continue to give stuff mm-hmm. in such a manner. I mean, the same way, you have to look at it this way. Look at your energy and treat it as if you had a lot of money. You would be mindful of how you spent money, right, especially if you had a lot of years with hardship, financial hardship. You would be very mindful not to just, you know, blow it out the window. So you need to treat yourself in such a manner. You need to you know, be have boundaries in terms of who you're going to engage with. At the end of the day, there's there's a price to pay. So if if folks were looking at, you know, trying to balance themselves, let's say you recognize that there are some issues, right? Mm-hmm. I know there's some yep. issues. I need to do something. What is a simple thing that someone could do to start getting themselves back into some amount of spiritual balance? I would say the first order of business is to deal with self. I mean, honestly, there is no need of cleansing your home or yourself until you dealt with self first, right? Because I'm going to give you an example. If I tell you to go and cleanse, right? Mm-hmm. more than likely your intentions are not going to be where it needs to be. You're going to actually go through the motions, the physical end of things, 
And if you're not going to do it right, then it's not going to be be right. You're not going to really get the full 100 out of out of cleansing. So that's why I say it's important to deal with self first, get yourself together, concentrate, right? And then mm-hmm. you move to the next level in terms of the physical end of things, which is basically the cleanse, whether it be your home or yourself. It's almost like so. What would they do? You. Hmm? So what, what would they do? do? I mean, like, yeah. Well, what would what would someone do? Yeah. Would they sit down? Would you recommend that they meditate? Would you recommend that they, you know, journal? How would they do that self introspection? And how long should they spend on that before doing some of the other things? Well. I would say one thing that is, I want to say it's easy, but nothing's easy if you've lived the life of repeating the same behavior over and over. It just becomes so natural that one will accept that this is who I am, when in fact it's really not. So um, one example is um, in our subconscious, we tend to take every experience. I'm, I'll be 43 in, in June, so I've lived quite a life that I've had a, a lot of life experiences. Some mm-hmm. good, some not so good. Then some traumatic, right? So in my subconscious, mm-hmm. it holds a lot of um, it holds a lot of that. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's some of the, the, the really severe that we don't realize that we get it, it tra- even though it's in the subconscious, it actually crosses over. And we don't know why we do it, but we just do it. We don't even realize that we're doing it. But it's basically connected to the trauma that still comes to rest in the subconscious. So one exercise that I would recommend uh, doing, which is a very simple one, is basically writing down the problem. You know, so... Everything connected in the subconscious that has been, uh, that would fall underneath trauma, there is automatically an emotion attached to it by default, by default. Mm -hmm. So if you write down the problem, and as you write the problem down, it's going to cause you to relive the event again. And, And in the process of reliving the event, you're, you're actually pulling the, the emotions connected to that event all over again, right? So mm-hmm. once you've gone through that, you take it and you burn it. You burn the problem that was written out on the paper. Now, here's the thing. You can't destroy energy because energy simply can't be destroyed, right? But what you're doing mm-hmm. is you're releasing the emotional part. You can't forget what has already taken place, but you're releasing the emotional part of it, right? So I would recommend that exercise starting out. Followed behind that, I would recommend meditation. And a lot of people don't understand the point of meditation. Um, Meditation is, is basically looking inwardly. Assessing, assessing the energy that you are, assessing it and determining how you're going to distribute that energy, right? So mm-hmm. you, may, you may end up meditating today, and in the meditation, it comes, it comes to you maybe 
possibly in the midst of the meditation or afterwards, I have that, you know, I, I need to work on gratitude. So you work on gratitude, right? Mm-hmm. But going back to meditation, um, once you understand that what meditation really is and the whole purpose of meditation, if you've never done meditation before, don't go and try to do 30 minutes of meditation or an hour of meditation. Start out with one minute. Start out very little because the process of meditation is, is um, a reflection of concentrating. And at the end of the day, a lot of people don't really understand what it means to concentrate. Right? So if we look to our kids, mm-hmm. we look to our kids, I think that we, in retrospect we can go back and say there was a time that we told our kids to concentrate. I don't ever recall telling my son how to concentrate. <laughs> right. So, and I think the thing is is that you have to learn how to concentrate. And once you understand how, then you can apply it. And it's the same thing with meditation. People think people have drawn up their own conclusions on what meditation is. You know, and it's the same thing. If you go back and really have a true understanding what meditation is, then go back and apply it to what concentration is and how to do it. Then you come out a lot, a lot more successful because people will come up with their own <laughs> what they think concentration is. No one really right, knows. right. And I would say once one has gone through that, um, then start working on the physical end of things, which is cleansing your house and cleansing yourself. And it doesn't have to be this massive ritual because, once again, look to your central command station, which is um, your thoughts in your head, Um you know, your intentions. There is no need to pick up uh, white sage and start smudging the house if you're thinking about um, how you're going to pay your light bill next Wednesday. You know, if if that's the case, just put it down because you're not going to get the whole 100% that you need from there. So your intentions before the act is extremely important. You just got to align yourself properly. Now I'm going to give you a little pushback on that. And I'm going to tell okay. you why. <clears throat> okay. You know I cleanse. I cleanse almost every day. That's just okay. how I roll. And what okay. I find is that sometimes, particularly if I've had to, because, you know, I do the training and I'm talking to people all the time. And like you said, you can pick up stuff just from that, right? Yeah. If you've picked up energy from outside, I always feel like I need to clear that stuff before I can really center myself and meditate and focus. You know what I mean? So for me, it's like they go so hand in hand. Mm-hmm. I end up feeling like, no, 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 I can feel the energies off. Let me cleanse, and then I can sit down and, and, and do my thing. Does that make sense? Well, no, it makes perfectly good sense. So you're coming from the perspective where you're not, you're not a newbie. You know, you're, you're not a newbie. Mm-hmm. I I was actually coming in from the perspective of someone who hasn't and is is simply just trying to get a handle on life, like where do I start, you know? 
Okay. Like but a brand new person never did any anything really beyond maybe going to church is what I'm hearing. A brand new person or someone who has or someone who is um still having issues even after cleansing. You can have someone come in and cleanse themselves, meditate, cleanse their home and still have issues. So you can still go through the process, but you're going to still come right back to self. But, yeah, what you were just saying, I mean, that's perfectly right, because I, I, I actually do the same very thing. Um, but for someone who is a newbie just starting out, that would actually be my recommendation. So how did, you know, and this is the, you know, I've been meditating off and on for, ooh, ooh, a good number of years now (laughs) because we've talked about this. Um, When I started out, I found it very helpful to start with guided meditations, you know, Mm -hmm. to help kind of keep my mind focused. I know some people like to do um, meditations where they focus on the breathing. Are there any particular types of things that you would recommend for new people, just brand new to this, to get them started? Now, obviously, don't try to do an hour-long meditation the first time out, but are there any particular Absolutely types not. of meditations you would recommend? No, because it really depends on the individual. Some people need the guided meditation. Some people just need quiet, absolute stillness, you know, I know some people who will go into um, their closet. Some people have like walk-in closets that they'll they'll go in and close the door, you know, because if they're mm. in their living room, you may have the fire truck go by. Well, that has interrupted you. So they'll they'll go into um, their walk-in closet just to get some sense of peace and quiet, stillness, basically. So it just really depends, and and. I think the best thing for one starting out is to actually try and see what you re- how do you respond to it. How do you respond? I personally would recommend just finding a, a, a very quiet space because um, my thought is basically when you have music or voices and so forth, that is a certain degree of distraction. You know, so my thought is basically turn off everything. Turn off everything to the point that all you have is your inner thoughts. So if I can get my inner thoughts to stop and slow down, then I'm really in the space that I need to be in. Right? Yeah, I know that for me it was really difficult to do that at first, though. For, you know, because... Mm-hmm. my brain tends to jump from place to place. I think most people do, but, you know, I tend to have a very active brain. And what I found was having someone to direct my thoughts, especially as a new person, not knowing anything about meditation. Because you do, Mm -hmm. you come with a preconceived notion, right? Like if you come Mm -hmm. from a very religious background, you might say, oh, that's some, you know, crazy, you know, chanting and this, that, and the other, and it doesn't have to be all that. And so having just a calm voice kind of directing me in a way to, in a way to focus, 
It was almost mm-hmm. like training my mind. I, that's the way I would I would think of it. I thought the guided meditations were really good for me because they seemed to kind of train my mind so that eventually I didn't need them. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me that worked really well. Okay. You know, okay. but I, I've tried other types of meditation. I don't know if you've ever tried. Um, I actually went to a, a Buddhist temple where the, the nuns there did a meditation course, and they did uh-huh. walking meditation, and I thought that was really cool. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that. Have you tried anything like that? No, but I've seen it. I've seen that. I thought, I thought it was an it, interesting so. experience. Mm-hmm. Did you get a lot from it? What what I got from it was a different way of thinking about meditation. Okay. You know, and it was it was very peaceful, but it was kind of a rhythmic. So if anybody, okay, I'm I'm talking about stuff people probably don't know anything about. So I went to this um, Buddhist temple when I was still in Atlanta, and they had these nuns there running this meditation workshop, and so all these people from all over Atlanta came, and we were in this huge room and sitting on, like, blankets and stuff, and we'd sit down and do different types of meditation. And then at one point they had us stand up and form a line around the room. And we walked in unison, kind of like, like when you see synchronized swimmers and they're all moving their arms at the same time and all that. Okay. We were on the same foot, and we walked around the room. And then when they rang a chime, we would turn around and change directions and walk the other way. And this went uh-huh. on for a few minutes. And it was just a different way to think about meditation, mm-hmm. which for me, that was really, I thought that was kind of a cool thing because it also made me see connections to meditative, not meditation as a sitting down action, but that you can be in meditative thought, if you will, in other activities. So like oh, for absolutely. me, like the shower, I will fall into mm-hmm. meditative thought in the shower. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a different way of meditating in a way. Oh, Does yeah, that make sense? I, no, it makes perfect good sense. And I, I, I think it would be safe to say once you have been meditating for a substantial amount of time, you can meditate during activities, you know, because it wasn't mm-hmm. until some time later. When I first started out, I would literally have to get into a quiet place and sit Indian style. Um, but time... Um, I could actually stand, be standing in a grocery line, and the cashier is just moving so slow, and the line is hanging out the door, and I'm realizing I've got some bad thoughts about this cashier now. So I, I would have, to, <laughs> I would have to actually <laughs> go into meditation to keep myself from having those thoughts, which would bring forth certain emotions. You know, so. Right. Yeah, I would stand the grocery line and, and, and do that. Now, you know, you're talking about the, the bad thoughts coming up and kind of going into a meditative state to combat that. I want to mm-hmm. bring that back around to what we were talking about before. Okay. You know, because we were talking about, you know, associations and kind of maybe that vampiric kind of energy. I told mm-hmm. you, yeah, there's somebody who calls me every so often when I talk to them, I got to go eat, like, <laughs> Like, I get hungry, right? Okay. But that same thing can happen with your emotions. Like somebody might call you up and you become 
furious for no apparent reason. Or you see somebody and you instantly don't like them. You may not even know why. Mm -hmm. But something about their energy either harkens back to something that's happened in the past or some other person you knew, and Mm -hmm. it really gets in there and starts agitating you. Can If you practice meditation, you can just pull back from that, right? You can train Absolutely. yourself to eventually recognize it, pull back from it, and then try and purge yeah, that energy you're right there. you're technically shifting your awareness. You know, you're, you're technically shifting your, your awareness. And if we can say that your awareness basically will dictate the thought, right, whether it be bad or good, then, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and when people say things like, and this kind of does bug me a little bit, when people say things like, stay woke, you know. Um, I mean, stay woke. You know how they say stay woke? Every time you turn around, somebody's saying stay woke or, you know, um, you know, talking about how people are are so woke. To some extent, I think that they're not really thinking through that concept of what it means is not just about political or, you know, social issues, right? It's also about being awake to yourself. Oh, absolutely. If, if you really want to be woke, right, you need to be mm-hmm. aware of yourself, your feelings, your emotions, and how that feeds into things. That's right. That's right. Because, you know, once again, people – if they can't see it, touch it, and taste it, and so forth, then energy just doesn't exist, you know. And and I've I've had a few folks who will call me, and they've had some level of spiritual activity in the house where they've seen a plate slot across the table. Okay, well, it took for them to experience that before they could, you know, acknowledge energy actually exists. There are different forms of energy. So after that experience, then they, they walked away with like, you know, holy cow, you know, this is real. Yeah, it's, it's very real. Well, it's that's, and real. you know, it's hard. It's hard for people, though, don't you think, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. really kind of wrap their brains around that concept? Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard unless you have a direct experience. But I'm going to go back to where we started at. If you have been going through life with something that you're not pleased with, look at self and look at how you think about whatever it is and the emotion connected to it. If if one could actually challenge themselves to think the complete opposite, for the next month, they would be just in awe with what they would see manifest. And that's hard. It's it's so hard when, especially with money, if you've had someone who has financially struggled for quite a while, and they they're positive today, and they're they're feeling like everything is going to be okay, and then there can be that slight doubt that will creep up. And be like, well, what if this happens? Or what if I don't get my paycheck in time? Then I'm just, you know. And I tell my folks basically, once you once you have those thoughts, stop it immediately and flip it real quickly. Flip it. 
because at the end of the day, you're human. So until you have actually trained yourself to stop thinking those thoughts, once you realize what you're doing, stop it, cut it, and then flip it. You know, and I think a lot of people tend to get wrapped up in the details. You know, so say, for example, if you're talking about money, and you're needing money, you know, maybe your issue is not holding on to money, but just more so pulling it in, I think people get caught up in the details in terms of where could this money come from. It doesn't matter. There are so many many ways that one can vector in money that it doesn't even matter. All you have to do is know that this money is coming to you. It's already happened. It's happening now. Not when or how, but it's happening now. You know, oh, I say that all the time. I say yeah. that all the time. If there's all there's all kinds of money out there, there's plenty, plenty of money. There's more than enough of it. It's just a matter yeah. of how it's going, how you're going to put your hands on it. That's all. Well, no, I don't even do that. I, I basically say money needs me, because without without money needing me, it's useless. Right? Oh, okay. Money, money needs me. I don't need the money. Money needs me. Without me, there is no purpose. It doesn't really even exist. Because if you sit here and look at it as humans, we empower the money. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just colored paper and somebody's face on it. But we give it power. So that's why I say money needs me, not the other way around. In order for money to have any sort of relevancy uh, to it, I I do that. <laughs> I do That's that. That's it. Yeah. That's hot. I like that. Money yeah. needs me, y'all. That's what y'all need to, to be putting up on your mirrors, you know, reminding yourself every day as you're brushing yeah. your teeth and washing your face, money needs you. Money That's needs true. you. I like that. I'm stealing that, just so you know. I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. So I'll tell people I stole it from you. But, but I am stealing that. I'm stealing it right now. I'm telling everybody who's listening, I'm stealing it from Lynn. Money needs me, and y'all all going to hashtag money needs me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Moving into 2018, money needs me, man. <laughs> that, and that ties directly to what, what Stephen was talking about before was about the way we think about our money. Mm-hmm. He was saying people who are are working for their money mm-hmm. feel that basically are making money the master of them as opposed to people who are making the money work for them where yes. they are the master of their money. They are the, the master. That's right. Money is useless to the individual. It's the individual who has the money that empowers the money. You know, and that's why I say that money needs me. Mind blown, y'all. We've heard, we've heard it twice <laughs> in two different ways. Mind completely blown. If your mind's not blown now, I don't know. Money needs you. That's your new mantra for 2018. Money needs me. We're going to all sit. That's your meditation mantra. Yes. Every day, yes. 
money needs me, money wants me, money needs That's me, right. money wants me. That's, That's right. it. That's right. And and another one that I I've been working on. This is on my personal tip, uh, Lynn. I've been working on um, what I want wants me. That's right. That's right. There you go, y'all. That's, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> because you that's have to realize awesome. you're, you're, you're the master. I mean, this is, you're, you're, you're the center, the, the command station, basically, the central command station for this. So it's whatever you want. And I tell folks, I tell my folks, think big. Think big. Very big. You know, you know, you, you've got people who will think very small, and they just need the bare minimum. They just want the bare minimum. And, there, you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with that. But I generally try to tell my folks, think big, because what you, what you have, what you want, you could actually have. It's endless. Just don't get caught up in the details. The details are basically now, always a well, you see, that's something I really, that taps into a book that I've been reading. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Prayer of Jabez. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Jabez, mm-hmm. J-A-B-E-Z, I think. And okay. it's a tiny little book. And I don't have the author's name um, right now in front of me, but I can probably pull it up if I if I look for it. But in that book, there was the way the guy talks about it is there are so many blessings that God wants to give you mm-hmm. and you're just not asking for them. Yep. And because we ask so little, that's what we get. Basically, yep. that's the gist of it. I'm paraphrasing y'all. I'm oversimplifying. Go get the book. <laughs> it's on Amazon. You can get on Kindle. I have it on my Kindle. I actually sent it to somebody that I felt like needed the hard copy of it. I had a hard copy. I sent it to him. Um, and I think it's a fabulous book and every so often I reread it or re-listen to it. I have the audible version too. Mm -hmm. Uh, re-listen to it, reread it just to remind myself that Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine all the blessings that God might have for me. Mm -hmm. And I think it it, it speaks in the Bible. Um, I'm not going to say this correctly, but the, you have, it's the size of a mustard seed. You could move a mountain. That's thinking big. Mm-hmm. You got to think big, you know? Yeah. So everybody's homework, as we're moving into 2018, you've got time, you've got a couple of days. Today's only the 29th. You've got a couple of days. Start thinking about what you want to create for yourself, particularly financially, because we've been talking mostly about money today. But the reason I want to talk about money is because I think the money part is what we tend to find the most challenging for most of us here in the United States. I mean, even yeah, when people come money. from other countries, they end up being mm-hmm. shocked at how challenging it is sometimes to really, really make it here. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it's just a really tough spot for us. And if we can get our money straight, then it'll free up some space in our minds and our hearts to think about the love and the friendship and the relationships and everything else that, you know, life is made up of. Because you spend so much time trying to cover the nut, you know, pay the light bill, pay the water bill, et cetera, Mm -hmm. and sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't even think about those other things 
to the depth that they deserve. Mm-hmm. That's right. So That's homework for everybody. Think about think about what you want to create for next year. Definitely. And what else would you recommend that people start thinking about um, moving into 2018? In terms of? Just ways that they can push themselves forward, challenge themselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually to, to move to the next level. What kinds of things can they be working on? I'm going to have to go back to what we've been talking about um, which is basically self. You know, I stand very firm on we are the central command station in terms of the life that we want to have. So even beyond the money part, if we want just peace and we want a loving, healthy relationship, you know, it's going to start with us. So you're going to to have to go back and, and... change the mindset and your awareness and and decide on, you know, how you want to direct this energy. You want to direct negative energy so you can get more negative energy or you're going to put out positive energy to pull in more positive experiences. Because everything that's happened now in your life is a direct uh, hit from your thoughts. That energy. You know, if you if you come from a place where you spend a lot of time in self doubt, a place of fear, you know, then that's what you're gonna pull in. And to that end, so, mm-hmm. I'm gonna add one little thing. Okay. Everybody spends a lot of time these days on social media mm-hmm. winding themselves up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> winding themselves up about the last thing that somebody said, you know, or the last thing Mm -hmm. that somebody did and getting all upset and fussing at each other in all caps and social media and calling each other names and all this other stuff, cut that out because that's just feeding the negative energy monster. Yes. You know, once again, as I said earlier, you can can pick up energy face-to-face physically around being around someone, you can pick it up over the phone, you can pick it up via the email. So yeah, social media is just another vessel for it. And that's a perfect example of energy because that's all mm-hmm. it is. All yeah. it is 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 energy going through those computers and phones, y'all. So if Absolutely. you start getting on social media and getting yourself all wound up and upset about things you got to pull yourself away from that. And same thing with watching the news all the time and getting upset about what's going on here and there. I'm not saying don't be informed. I'm saying be judicious about how you are informed. Make sure you're getting multiple perspectives. Don't just watch CNN. Don't just watch Fox News. Don't just watch MSNBC. Make sure that you're hearing from different voices, that you can hear different opinions and different perspectives. Read more than you watch the TV if you can. I know time is precious to us, but let's pull ourselves out of these negative um, negative feedback loops that we're getting caught up in with the media and the social media. Absolutely. 
Okay, guys, we have come to the top of the hour, and so we're going to wrap this up. Lynn, what do you have going on that you want the listeners to know about? <laughs> like what? <laughs> we have any, I, I don't um, have any. Where can, they get any a, where can they book a session with you? Um, I can be reached at 919-744-6675. Which is the best way? And they can contact you, schedule a consultation, and yep. um, you can do spiritual readings, if you will, or Correct. spiritual consultation, tapping into mm-hmm. spirit, seeing what it is that they need to be focusing on, or and helping to answer their questions. Are they? Do you have any events coming up, or any place on social media where they can find you? No, no events. Okay. No event. But we're going to be looking for those coming later in the year. Later in the year. And I know you've been working on a book. You've been promising me that you were going to get your book done. And I'm I'm putting (laughs) you on blast now right here in public. 2018. 2018. Putting you on blast to get that book done. 2018, y'all. Y'all heard it here. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Lynn, thank you so much for joining me on thank Somewhere you. in the Middle with Michelle Barrett for this special two-hour broadcast. Guys, I'm so excited that y'all are able to hang out with us. That's our show for this week. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. You know I love to hear from you. Feel free to send me some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Again, Huge, huge, huge shout-out to Beverly Black, Tribe Family Channel, and all the members of Tribe Family Channel. It is a pleasure. It is an honor to be a part of it. Thank you, Stephen Hutchinson, for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. And you make sure you guys check him out at his website, powertax.com, P-O-W-E-R-T-A-X-X.com. Learn about your money. Learn about your taxes. Take advantage of that expertise. And, again, thank you, Lynn, for taking the time to help us move into spiritual balance. As we go forward in 2018, I'll see you all on the other side, guys. Make sure you tune in to the show in January. We're going to be moving to a new platform, so you can still find us every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, slash somewhere in the middle radio. You can also find us uh, on our podcast at recordings, bit.ly slash somewhere in the middle podcast. Let us continue this conversation as we move into 2018. You guys be good, stay mindful, remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all. Peace and blessings.